Paul has always placed a high value on the elders or overseers of the flock in Ephesus. His concern reaches back to his journey from Miletus to Jerusalem when he stopped in Ephesus and called the elders to him, as described in Acts 20, verses 28 through 21. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul rightly considered the elders the first line of defense against the savage wolves, the purveyors of false doctrines. Earlier, in his letter to Timothy, Paul goes so far as to state in chapter 3, verse 1, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Here, in chapter 5, verse 17, Paul amplifies his praise for the stalwarts. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. There are two specific requirements for consideration of double honor. The Bible translation I read from renders the first requirement as who rule well. I've also seen this described as who lead effectively. Just as I mentally draw back when an elder is called an overseer, I have a similar aversion to the idea of an overseer ruling. In my working experience, I have always been drawn to studies of effective leadership. Simply put, the components of being an effective leader amount to, one, equip the team, or here, the flock, with knowledge and tools for the work. Two, empower the flock to use the resources given. Three, get out of the way, letting the work be performed. Four, be available if problems arise to solve them if able. Any involvement beyond this by an elder is meddling or ruling. I rather suspect Paul is an effective leader 
empowering the bishops, like Timothy, and the unnamed elders to do a well-defined, well-equipped job. In Ephesus, as we find in today's world, there persists a spiritual battle with the forces of darkness. The most effective weapon in this battle is knowledge. Consequently, the second requirement for elders to be awarded double honor is work hard at preaching and teaching. Fundamental to this requirement is truth. Elders are expected to preach the gospel as known from the ministry of Jesus Christ as deployed during his time on earth. The teaching performed must be anchored in sound doctrine, not the apostasy conjured from those who are uncomfortable with the teachings of Christ. In Ephesus, this was difficult, requiring much effort by the church leadership to remain consistent. The earthly compensation for the elders is expressed biblically. I have to admit, the first reference from Deuteronomy 25.4 had me doing more research. You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. First, I had to understand the use of an ox in the process of threshing. It seems that the ox has multiple uses, such as plowing and pulling carts. After wheat or grains like corn have been harvested, the ox can be used to walk in a circle, trampling the harvest to separate the edible part from the rest of the plant. Then, the concept of muzzling an ox had to be sorted. As a natural tendency, the ox grazes on the material being threshed. Some, who felt too much edible material was being consumed by the ox, would place a muzzle on the ox to prevent this. God, in delivering his laws to Moses, made the judgment that the animal, or, by extension, person, Performing the labor was entitled to some portion of the result of that labor. Look on this as ancient profit sharing. To make the point even more, with more clarity, Paul reiterates from Scripture, this time from Leviticus 19.13 and Deuteronomy 24.15, the laborer is worthy of his wages. The distinction of this statement from the former is the presumption of prior agreement. A laborer agrees to perform work in exchange for compensation. In Leviticus, the Lord equates denial of payment of earned wages to oppression, even robbery. Paul's point is made definitively. 
If an elder performs his work as prescribed, he must receive earthly compensation. He most certainly will receive heavenly compensation. After setting forth rewards for lawful obedience, Paul then describes the rules for disobedience alleged and proven in verses 19 and 20. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. First, as is the standard for accusations throughout Scripture, there must be multiple witnesses. Then, correction is to be public, so that the nature of the proven sin will be made known to all. Also, once the sin is exposed, it should be clear that there are consequences as a deterrent. Finally, Paul applies consistent admonition directly upon Timothy as the judicial authority. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. The authority called upon by Paul should make clear the seriousness seriousness with which he demands impartiality from Timothy in dispensing the principles to the elders. Paul is calling for Timothy to exhibit a slow, even hand in judging the elders. What follows is a loving, caring, personal, medicinal bit of advice for an afflicted friend. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. It seems likely that leading the Ephesian church is taking a toll on Timothy, as has been often identified in leaders, particularly in difficult situations. A physical price is paid. Paul concludes the chapter with some sage advice, born of experience, in the form of a couple of proverbs. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. Paul, I believe, is offering a couple of precepts regarding bad behavior as well as good. 
recognition of the behavior of fallen mankind may be identified and appropriately dealt with in the world. If not, there is to come a judgment that is entirely righteous upon which we must rely. Similarly, rewards may be dispensed by earthly means, but there is that same judgment that will recognize good deeds by and by. In other words, Timothy, deal with what you can while you can and leave the rest to God. For now, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Come.